Today we are in our last sermon in the journey through um, Exodus sermon series. We have been looking at the Israelites because they are incredibly human. And then we've been looking at how they traveled through the desert, the struggles that they had, and we've been trying to relate their struggles with our struggles and to see how it is we might be able to travel through the desert maybe better than they did. Today we are going to be in Exodus uh, verse, uh, chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. This is what the word of the Lord says. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of a hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites and Moses, as Moses had ordered him. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever Moses lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under his arm and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war with the Amalekites from generation to generation. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God, be to God indeed. I was reading this scripture. I was preparing for the end of this series, and one vision came to me, and it was of Bill Murray. Anyone know who Bill Murray is? I think you're all old enough. Some, most of us are old enough. Michelle, I don't know about you. Bill Murray was in a movie that I love. A lot of you watch it every year. Every year on Groundhog Day. See, Groundhog Day is a movie that is about a man who lives one terrible day over and over and over again. He lives that day over and over again, hoping that he's going to wake up the next day and be out of the same trouble that he's been in for however many days that that lasted. And each day as he lives this day, he chooses to do something different. Some days he's really obnoxious and rude, knowing that tomorrow it's just going to start all over again. And then, glory be, at some point he realizes maybe, maybe this is my opportunity to get things right. So he starts trying to figure out what it is that he needs to do right so that this day will finally be over. And that movie, I think, in a nutshell, encapsulates the Israelite journey through Exodus. The Israelites are saved by God from slavery. We've seen this over the past few weeks. They were enslaved in Egypt. They had a terrible life in Egypt. Slavery is a real thing. It's a horrible thing. It is not something that is comfortable to live through. God heard their crying because they cried out to God. God heard their crying, and we saw that God sees us in the midst of our suffering. 
Not only did we see that God sees them and us in the midst of suffering, we see that God cares about our suffering. The scripture in that part of Exodus says that God saw them suffering and God was concerned about their suffering. And then it says that God had a plan to get them out of slavery. So God sees you, God cares for you, and God has a plan for you in this midst of trouble. Because like the Israelites, although we are not enslaved to the Egyptians, we are enslaved in this world. Whatever that is for you, you are slave to something or some things in this world, whether that's a pattern of living that you learn from going to school in the American school system, which teaches you that there's a certain way to live that is right. There's a certain way to succeed that is right. There's a certain way to have power and influence that is right. But all of that rightness is defined by the world and not by God. And so we find ourselves some way enslaved in our lives. And God sees our slavery to those things. And God cares about our slavery. And God has a plan to move us from where we are to the place that God has for us. And what is that place? Is that place bad? Is that place ugly? Is that place horrible? No, that place is good. That place is a land flowing with milk and honey, and I don't know what that looks like in your life, and I promise you, you don't either. We may think we know what the answer is. We may think we know what the end of the journey should look like, because I promise you, I've painted many a picture for God. I have painted many a picture of God. God, I'm glad you see me. I'm glad you care about me, and I'm glad you have a plan, and I'm sure that your plan lines up with mine. Not only am I sure that your plan lines up with mine, I'm sure that where we're going is going to be the place I want to go. It's going to be the place I think that salvation looks like. But what the Israelites learn and what I hope we can learn in the process, it's something I think we all know, right? We all know that our plans are not God's plans. We all know that God has a plan that is different than the plan that we have, yet somehow our heads and our hearts can't get it together. We can't get sold out for that nebulous, undefined plan that God has. We get so stuck in our plan. And so we end up living like the Israelites, like Bill Murray, in this repeat of existence. These days where we wake up and it's just the same as yesterday and the same problems we had yesterday, we're living through today, and it just seems like this never-ending process of struggle where we don't see God's work in our life, or we don't see the end of the journey like we want to see it. And so how, then, is the question, and this is where we're ending. We've talked about this in little pieces all throughout this series. I encourage you to go back and watch them if you haven't watched them, because this is important. I've told you since the beginning that this piece of scripture is one of my favorite, and it's one of my favorites because the Israelites are so stinking human in this piece of scripture. They act just like we act. They behave just like we behave. They struggle just like we struggle. And so there's something for us to learn here. Today we're going to expose what the Israelites did. We're going to put a conclusion on it. And we're going to compare that like we have been throughout to what Jesus did. Because Jesus lived through the same temptation, the same struggles that the Israelites did. Yet his outcome was like the end of the movie instead of being at the middle of the movie where most of us seem to be caught. So let's look today at our scripture. 
Um, this scripture in Exodus 17, this particular piece where Israel goes to war is the first time that Israel as a community that has been saved by God that is in the desert goes to actual war. We have seen them at the Red Sea, trapped between a big body of water that they had no idea how they could get through and an army that wanted to kill them, right? We have seen them stuck there, but they didn't have to go to war. They didn't have to lift a finger. They cried out, they whined, they complained. They wondered, their faith struggled, and God provided by parting the waters. And they went across on dry land. Then they get to the other side, where God has already provided miracles, and they find that they don't have the food that they want. They complain, they, they, complain, they whine. That should be a new word, complain, together. <laughs> Look, if I say it here, it now goes in the dictionary. They struggled. Their faith failed time and time again. They asked for food. God gave them food. They said, we don't have water. I just gave you food. Don't you think I'm going to give you water? Did they ask God for water? No. They whined. They complained. They struggled. And God gave them water. God showed up even when they failed. God showed up even when they failed. That is a lesson you cannot leave here today without putting in your heart deeply. Because we are humans and we are going to struggle and we are going to get it wrong. Our faith is going to waver and we are going to whine and we are going to complain, but God will always show up. So what's the point then? Remember, this is last week. What's the point of us doing good, of us figuring it out, of us having faith that sustains if God is going to show up even if we fail? What's the point? What do I need to be good for? I can just be Bill Murray in the middle, in the beginning of the movie, when he's just acting a fool. The point is that it is possible to get out of this hamster wheel of a life and to experience something different as our faith grows stronger. You see, Jesus was in the desert, was tempted, and came out his faith strong, and he changed the world. Our call in life is not only for ourselves, it is for others. You are called not only to get through the desert, but to get through the desert and to be a part of others' lives and to show them that there's more to life than this. So where the Israelites find themselves today is being attacked. We get attacked by many things in our lives. Thankfully, most of us, not all of us, most of us don't have to go to war, actual physical war. Some of us do. And what the Israelites find in this war is something, or what we find about the Israelites is something that's really important for us to pay attention to. Okay, you ready? When we read through the scripture, did you hear any whining or complaining? any grumbling from that camp of people who couldn't figure out how to eat and couldn't figure out how to drink water? No. In this scripture, we don't see any grumbling. We don't see any complaining. We don't see any second guessing of Moses, who is their leader. And we don't see any part where they doubt God's ability, which is particularly interesting because of the fact that God's way of fighting this battle, right? 
God's way of fighting this battle is to put Moses on a mountain and have Moses has his arms raised up high, right? Now, we know God's going to work in this battle no matter what, but Moses knows that when he lifts his arms up, or he sees, the Israelites are winning. It says that Joshua is leading the battle, but they're fighting with him. But then when his arms go down, they start losing. Do they complain? Do they grumble? Do they whine? No. They continue on. They continue in battle, this first battle, this first real fight that they've ever been experienced with. And Moses starts to struggle. And what happens? The community comes around him and builds him up. They put stones under his arms so that they can stay raised. I mean, if you tried to lift your arms for any more than a minute, you know it's not an easy thing to do. And he did it from morning until sunset, right? That is not an easy thing to do. They also gave him a stone to sit on. And what happens in this is that God is victorious. God is victorious. The Israelites are victorious. Moses is victorious together as a community. And after they win this battle, God says to them, write this down. It's the first time writing is ever mentioned in scripture. Write this down. And he wanted them to write it down because he knew what? He knew they'd forget. He knew that just in a few short hours, they'd be complaining and grumbling again. They'd be wondering where God is. They'd be wondering where the miracles are that they need. And then Moses also built an altar. When they built altars, it was a way of remembering how God had been there before. So that when they were struggling again, they could simply look back and remember God's presence in their lives. I want you to take out your insert for today, a little earlier than we normally do, because I want to look at the way the Israelites have responded typically. We looked at this a little bit last week, but I wanted to have it right in front of you so that you could see it laid out pretty clearly. Because this isn't the end of the Israelite journey. You can continue reading on through Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and you're going to see a continued process of the Israelites trying to figure out how to live in faith. So this is their typical pattern. They start by believing. You'll see over and over again where God does something miraculous, and they say, we believe you, God. We're going to follow you, God. And then they hit a speed bump. There's all sorts of different kinds of speed bumps. They hit a speed bump, and then they struggle. And during that speed bump is when Satan shows up, right? Satan doesn't show up when we're all happy, when everything's going okay. Satan sees the weakness in our lives, shows up, and begins to pull us away from the one thing that can help get us through this situation and tempts us with the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, right? He made them want things that they didn't need. He made them doubt God's presence. He made them believe that they were being left behind. And because of the way they behaved during those temptations, they ultimately failed in faith. Yet in this particular example, this war with the Amalekites, 
you see Israel do something completely different. You see them respond with yes. You see actually not a lot of narrative about their behavior, but you see that Moses is followed, Moses is believed, and the community comes together as one to follow the word of God, which, by the way, was weird, right? Like I said, God's plan is not our plan. Who would have said the way we're going to win this war is for you to go stand on that mountain and raise your hands, right? What kind of war strategy is that? Not one of us, I'm just saying, not one of us would have said, that's the plan. It's going to work. And if one of us did say that, all the rest of us would have been, you're crazy, (laughs) right? I don't know what you are drinking these days, but that's not going to work. You see, God had a plan. It wasn't like anything they expected. They followed God's plan, and they won the battle. But see, we don't just want to win the battle. We want to win the war, right? We're going to have lots of battles in our lives, and some of them we're going to win, and some of them we're going to lose. But we, at the end of the day, want to win the war, and we have the freedom to do that because we have something that the Israelites did not have. What do we have that the Israelites did not have? Jesus. Jesus. See, God knew... We could not get rid of sin on our own. God knew that we could not win these battles that we were up against on our own. God knew that we didn't have it in us because as much as the sin is pushed away, it still remains. And so God sent Jesus. God sent Jesus so that when we are called to do these things, so that when we are tempted, we don't have to fight by ourselves anymore. In fact, we don't have to fight at all. Jesus does that for us. And we're given an example of how Jesus fights those battles for us and how we are meant to go into those desert times, how we are meant to make it through the desert journey successfully. We see that in the depiction of Jesus walking through the desert. It's an all of the Gospels, but I'm going to be reading from Matthew. In Matthew, Jesus comes onto the scene, and before he begins his ministry, this is so important, before he's able to do anything to impact the lives of people on this earth, he is baptized, and then is intentionally sent by God into the desert to be tempted. He is baptized, given the power of the Holy Spirit, given the power of God, and then sent in to the desert to be tempted so that his faith, so that his belief in his identity as the Son of God could be put to the test before he ever once shared a word with a human. And this is what happens. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And the devil does three things, tempts him in three ways. He says he's fasting. 40 days he hasn't eaten. He says, you're hungry, right? It's been 40 days. You're hungry. Turn these rocks into bread and eat. And Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then Satan says to him, well, If you're the son of God, 
you could throw yourself off a mountain, right, and live. And Jesus says, we're not meant to put God to the test. And then Satan says to him, all right, fine. But I have one last thing you might be interested in. You see all of this before you? As far as your eyes can see, I will give you I will give you these cities, I will give you these people, I will give you leadership of this whole group if, if you bow down and worship me. You see, Jesus was tempted with the flesh, he was tempted with his eyes, and he was tempted with the pride of life, just like we are. And the way that Jesus won this battle, the way that Jesus stayed strong in faith is something that the Israelites rarely did. He did two things. He stuck with what he knew in Scripture. Not what he knew growing up as a young Israelite, but what he knew from Scripture. And they didn't have it written down. Remember, they didn't have scripture written down. The first time that writing is mentioned is in Moses' time, right? So they didn't have a whole book like we did. They had some scrolls, but mostly it was an oral history. He had to remember what had been told to him. He had to remember the words of God as it came through the people. Not only did he remember the words of God, he remembered the work of God that had happened previously. See, that's why God tells us to write things down now. That's why God has the people in Israel build altars. Because God knows our memory is short. And what we tend to remember is the last thing that happened, which is usually not a very good thing. So Jesus is obedient and he stills his mind. Trusting and believing that God is going to provide a way out. That God is going to provide a way through even if he can't see possibly how that can happen. And that's miraculously what the Israelites did here with the Amalek army. They believed, for whatever reason, in this one time, in this one example, that what God was asking them to do would work, even though it was crazy. And God showed up. You see, not only does God see your work, your, your troubles. Not only does God care about your troubles, not only does God have a plan to get you out of your troubles, God is faithful to that plan. God is faithful to that plan. Jesus is obedient, and he becomes victorious. So my question to us today Last week, we looked at ways to still your mind. And one of the ways I encourage you to learn to still your mind is to pick a Bible verse, to memorize it. Even if it's one sentence, even if it's three words, to memorize it so that when you are struggling, so that when you are doubting, so that when your faith is failing, when you are feeling tempted, you have words of truth that you can bring to mind. Because more often than not, you're not going to have your Bible right next to you when you're tempted. I mean, that's not just, not the way it works but you can have it implanted in your heart and in your mind so that when you're troubled, you can pull on something that is true, the word of God. He was also victorious because he remembered. 
He remembered who he was in God. He's the son of God. And guess what? You and I are the children of God, co-heirs with Christ. You have to choose today who your master will be. Is it going to be the truth of this world or is it going to be the truth of God? Is it going to be the ways of this world or is it going to be the ways of God? Those are the choices that we have today. Bill Murray eventually got through his crazy Groundhog's Day by sensing and seeking what was right. And granted, it's not a Christian movie. But us Christians can Christianize just about anything. And what he did, what Jesus did, was to still himself in the truth of Christ, in the truth of God, and to believe beyond all doubt that God has a plan and that God's going to be faithful to that plan. Today, I invite you to come forward with our last piece of paper before we burn them on the cross. And our ask today is for God to instill in you something. What is it that will help you do this? God instill in me hope. God instill in me faith. God instill in me the desire. Some of us don't even want to give up the things that we need to give up. Give me the desire to do better. Ask God for something today. Believing, believing that God's going to provide a way to this for you. And then as we sing this last song, Place it in the basket.